I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 again. Mark chapter 4, we're going to be looking at the remaining of the parables here in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 21 through to verse 34. So Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through to 34. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, <clears throat> it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word now, we ask that by your spirit you would illumine our minds to understand the words of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to understand them so that we might respond to them rightly. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us minds to understand your word so that we might live according to them and that we might live lives worthy of our King, the Lord Jesus. We pray this for his glory and for our good. Amen. Well, kids, I'm guessing that at some point you have experienced an Easter egg hunt. It's one of the, for many kids, their favorite time of the year where their parents will take some chocolate eggs and they will scatter them or hide them throughout the house or even possibly the backyard and then they'll allow the kids to disperse to find those Easter eggs. Now the parents, their job is to conceal those eggs. Their job is to hide the eggs. But it's also the job of the parents to hide them in such a way so that they can be found. In other words, the parents' job is to conceal the eggs with the intention of also revealing them so that the kids can actually find them. They want you at some point to find the eggs. So they conceal with the intention of them being found. 
Now, I, I think an Easter egg hunt captures similarly what the parables of Jesus are meant to do. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, and we saw the parable is, a, is an, ex, an explanation of all the different responses that we've seen from the people in regards to Jesus from chapters 1 through to chapters 3. And we saw, for example, the, the first form or the first kind of soil we could say is the indifferent heart or the hardened heart. The, the seed lands on the, the path, but, but it doesn't penetrate in any way. The heart's indifferent. It's hardened. There's also the superficial heart who, who hears the word and, and receives it with joy, but, but because of persecution and tribulation, it falls away. It's, it's superficial. And then we also saw the distracted heart. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the pleasure of other things choke the seed that's planted. And then we also saw, of course, the receptive heart. That's the one who hears the word, accepts it, and bears fruit. And in the midst of that parable, Jesus explains the purpose of the parables. And what we saw was that the parables functioned in in one sense, in concealing the truth from those who were hardened to the truth, while the, the secret, the mystery of the kingdom would be explained to those on the inside, that is, those who were receptive to the kingdom truth. Now, it could be easy to conclude that Jesus' main objective was to conceal and to only allow a certain few people in. What we'll see in the coming verses is that although there is an element of concealment in Jesus' ministry, the primary purpose is to reveal. The primary task that Jesus is about is to make the mystery of the kingdom, which, which I would argue is the kingdom embodied in him because he's the king of the kingdom, the, 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 the purpose, the primary task is to make the mystery of that kingdom known, to reveal it. These are really what the parables are all about. They're meant to reveal the nature of the kingdom to those who will hear while concealing it to those who refuse to listen. In other words, the parables are paradoxical. They're concealing yet revealing. The kingdom is in one sense hidden, while at the same time it's visible to those who are able and willing to hear. This is precisely Jesus' point in verse 21 and 22, which, which we could, in, in one sense, call the parable of the lamp for clarity. So look at verses 21 through 23. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus asked this rhetorical question, and of course we know the answer. The answer requires both a no and a yes. No, a lamp isn't to be brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed. And yes, it's meant to be put on a stand. It's meant to light up the room and reveal what is there. And this too is, in one sense, the nature of the kingdom personified in Jesus. 
The kingdom is meant to bring light. The kingdom is meant to be revealed. And this is precisely what he states in, in verse 22, which we just read, right? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. In other words, though there is a hiddenness to the kingdom in Jesus, it will be made manifest. It will come to light. And I think you see this in Jesus's life and ministry. Though there are moments in Jesus's ministry that, that reveal the power of the kingdom, the reality is most of Jesus' ministry was, was done in many, in many ways a, a form of hiddenness. His glory was not revealed. The majority didn't conclude that, that Jesus was the king of God's kingdom. But after his resurrection, that which was hidden was made manifest. That which was secret came to light. Now, it's, it's not only possibly referring to his resurrection, but, but I think Jesus is also possibly referring to his return. Even to this day, the kingdom of Christ is in some form still hidden to the world. Unless, of course, you have ears to hear. But there is a day coming where every eye will behold him, and there will be no doubt whose kingdom is eternal and who's the king. And this is why, again, Jesus repeats in verse 23, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's this continual focus on, on hearing through the parable narrative. Listen, the kingdom of God is going to be revealed. Christ is going to be revealed in all his glory. And Jesus is saying, do you have ears to hear that now? Are you ready for that day. See, this, this theme of hearing is throughout this whole chapter. We see it again in verse 24 and 25 with, with another illustration or, or another mini parable. We could call this the parable of measure. So look at verse 24 and 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now what a peculiar phrase by Jesus. He calls us to pay attention to what we hear, and then he uses this measure language. Now this idea is actually found all over the Gospels. We see statements like, the standard by which you judge, you too will be judged. But here, Jesus is using the measuring in a little different way. Really, what he's saying here, when he says, uh, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What, what he's trying to convey is, what you put in will be what you get out. What you put in will be what you get out. In other words, the, the intent, attentiveness of your hearing will in some form dictate what you get out. If you're hungry to hear and understand, you will hear and understand. But if you care to not understand and hear, you won't understand and hear. What you put in, you will get out. I think a good way to think about this is, is uh, you have Joe and Bill. Joe, he, 
he comes to church regularly and, and he's eager, he's hungry to hear, hear God's word. He brings his notepad and his Bible with him. He, he comes early to fellowship with others before the service, but, but so also that he can sit down and pray before the service begins, asking that God would speak to his soul as the word is preached. He's, he's eager to feed upon the word of God and to understand God's word. But there's also Bill. He goes to church as well. He's a Christian, and, but he often shows up late. He never really prepares his heart before the service begins. He, he listens to the word being preached, but he's not all that attentive. He doesn't do everything that's necessary in order to give himself to the preaching of God's word. He'll sometimes scroll through his phone during the service because it's, it's just so essential to be on technology during a worship service. Now, between those two individuals, who do you think is going to get more out of God's word? Joe or Bill? Well, I think we know the answer to that question. Sure, God, God can intervene and, and speak to Bill in unusual moment, moments, but, but Joe overall has his heart in tune with the things of God. So when the things of God are declared, it becomes food to his soul. It makes an impact upon his life. See, what you put into hearing the word, you'll get out of the word. You could say it's the same with the church in one sense. What you put into the church, you'll get out of the church. You know, the amount of conversations I've had over the years with, with individuals complaining about church. Uh, I've been coming to this church for, for six months now, and it, it doesn't really feel like home or family. The, the people aren't all that welcoming. I haven't really had any relationships develop, and this church doesn't, just, just doesn't seem to care about me all that much. And you know, sometimes that can truly happen. The church sometimes does fall short in loving and caring for its people. But if I'm quite frank, I find that the majority of individuals who complain to me about these kinds of things, I think the, the, the problem predominantly resides with them. You're telling me the church doesn't feel like home, but here's the reality. You're not here enough in order for it to feel like home. You come two times a month or, or maybe three, and, and even when you come, you run off pretty quick afterwards. You, you say people haven't really taken an interest in your life, but, but I would ask you this. Have you done that? Have you taken an interest in the lives of those on Sunday morning as well? See, the majority of people who have these complaints I think, tend to be self-focused and tend to think that the church is meant primarily to meet their needs rather than seeing the church as an opportunity to be a blessing to others. What you put into the church, you'll get out of the church. That's the principle that, that Jesus is speaking of when he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. With the measure that you seek to understand Jesus, you'll get that understanding in return. You see, even though verse 21 and 22 tells us the secret of the kingdom is being revealed, it doesn't undermine our responsibility to pay attention to what we hear from Jesus. And our attentiveness 
is one of the determining factors for whether we will receive the kingdom and its abundance or whether the kingdom will never be ours. And even what we possibly had in our receptiveness to Jesus will be taken from us. This is precisely what Jesus gets at in verse 25 where he says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The principle here is really quite simple. The spiritually rich get richer, and the spiritually poor get spiritually poorer. Now when I say the spiritually poor, I, I do not mean the poor in spirit. I mean those who are indifferent to spiritual matters. The idea is simple. If your heart is open and receptive to Jesus, that is, to the one who has, he will reveal more and more of himself more will be given. And if your heart is hard to the one who has not, Jesus will conceal more and more of himself from you. Even what he has will be taken away. And this is why so often I find that those who have walked with Jesus the longest have a deeper love and faith for Jesus, a deeper knowledge, a deeper trust in him, than those who have only been Christians for a few years. In other words, being a Christian only gets better when your heart is devoted to hearing Jesus, because you'll get more of him. But the opposite is true as well. The longer one continues to be indifferent to Jesus, the older he gets, the harder it is for him to come and to hear the words of Jesus. The longer one refuses to hear Jesus, the harder it is to hear Jesus. And this is why, kids, it's, it's so important that, that you not have the mindset that says, you know, I'll get serious about Jesus when I'm older in life, like, like my parents' age. I, I want to live and enjoy life now, and then I'll start listening and following Jesus. You don't want to do that. First, living and enjoying life apart from Jesus isn't actually all that Enjoyable. Secondly, the longer you ignore Jesus, the harder your heart will become, and the more difficult it will be for you to come to him. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't do that. He often does save people in their older age. But hear this. It is harder for a person who has heard the words of Jesus for years upon years and has ignored his words to come to him. Don't delay. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. He wants you to come to him, kids. So the kingdom in Jesus is being revealed. But the question is, do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? Are you receptive to the things that Jesus is seeking to say to you? Now, there are two more parables in this section that convey certain truths about the kingdom. The first, in verse 26 to 29, explains why the kingdom grows. So look at verse 26 to 29. And he said, the kingdom of God is, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. 
what's, what's Jesus trying to get across here? What's his main point with this parable? Well, I think what Jesus is trying to say is this. The growing of the kingdom is not the result or the ability of the farmer, but the power of the seed. See, this farmer isn't all that good. He scatters seed on the ground, and, and that's all about all he does. He sleeps and rises night and day, yet the seed that he scattered sprouts and grows, and he doesn't know how. And yet, with all of that, it ends with a harvest. You see, the point that Jesus is making is the power is in the seed, not the seed tosser. The kingdom grows, not because the farmer is unique or more skilled than other farmers, but because the seed that he tosses has power. This is so important to see as Christians. Our task as Christians, hear this, is not to grow the kingdom of God. Our task is to be faithful with tossing gospel seed and leaving the results to God. In other words, success in serving the Lord isn't determined by the growth of the seed, but by whether you're being faithful in tossing the seed. Failure isn't determined by whether the seed grows or doesn't grow, but by whether you choose to neglect tossing the seed. See, God will grow his kingdom, but you, but will you be faithful with tossing the gospel seed that's been given and entrusted to you? Will you toss it, trusting that God will make it grow as he sees fit? You know, I can't tell you why, for some Christians, when they toss the seed of the gospel, there always seems to be harvest. Whereas other Christians, when they toss the seed, they, they rarely see harvest. I can't tell you why that is, but in the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is, will you be faithful with what God has called you to? Be a faithful seed tosser. And let God bring the growth, because the power is in the seed, not in you. You know, this parable reminds me of, of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 8. We, we know that there's conflict in Corinth because some of the followers of Jesus claim to follow Apollos, while, while others follow the Apostle Paul. And so Paul writes and he says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 8. What then is Apollos? What is Paul, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. You see that? You and I, we're not anything, whether we water or whether we plant, because God's the one who gives the growth, and we receive our wages according to our labor. In other words, 
We receive wages from God, gifts from God, blessing from God, not based upon whether or not there are results, but whether or not we are laboring for Him. So at Royal York Baptist Church, even during this season, I want to encourage you and I to be faithful seed tossers and trust that God will bring the harvest for he's the one who grows his kingdom, not us. Now Jesus, he gives us one more parable in this passage to capture the nature of the kingdom. In verse 26 to 29, Jesus tells us why the kingdom grows, which is God grows the kingdom, grows his kingdom. And here in verse 30 to 32, Jesus is telling us how the kingdom grows. So look at verse 30 to 32. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So what's Jesus' point with this imagery of this small mustard seed when it's planted, yet when it's sown, it grows up to be the largest of the garden plants that even the birds of the air can make their nests in it? Well, I think Jesus is telling us this. The kingdom has humble beginnings, but grows and will be established as the kingdom over all kingdoms. You see, the kingdom of Christ was not inaugurated with pomp and glory and power. The king was born in a manger in the insignificant town of Bethlehem. During his whole earthly ministry, he worked and served in insignificant remote areas within the Roman Empire. Like if, if you wanted to build a kingdom, you wouldn't begin in Galilee. By the time of his death, his number of followers were few. Even after his resurrection, there were only approximately 500 who believed him to be the Messiah. But in time, and as history has shown, his name, that is the name of Jesus, has been planted on every continent throughout history. For what can king, what king, can claim that he has willing worshipers and followers from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Only Jesus can make that claim. There have been great and powerful kings and kingdoms, but none so great as the kingdom of Christ. And here's what's even more glorious. We still haven't seen the consummation of his kingdom. You see, what Jesus is telling us is, with this parable of the mustard seed is that this is that his ways are not the ways of the world though at first the kingdom of christ looks insignificant no different than a small mustard seed even weak within time it will be the largest of all the garden plants so what does that mean for us well if you're watching this and, and you're not a believer, I want to speak to you. What does this mean for you? Well, we live in a society where this phrase is often used, 
being on the right side of history. And the idea is that you want to be on the, the right side of history of basically those who, who dictate how history unfolds. But the reality is, friend, it's not people who determine history. It's the Lord of history. It's the King of history, Jesus Christ. You want to be on the right side of history in the sense that you want to be on his side because he's the one who is sovereign over history. So let me ask you this. When Jesus returns as king to establish his kingdom, to consummate his kingdom, will he see you as a citizen of his kingdom or as an enemy of his kingdom? And if he sees you as an enemy of his kingdom, know that the Bible tells us that those who are enemies of Christ will be destroyed. But those who are citizens of his kingdom will share in the glory of his kingdom. And so friend, if you want to go from being an enemy to a citizen, you need to do what those in the gospel of Mark have done. Those who have heard Jesus's voice where he said, come and follow me. And they got up and followed him. You need to give your life to him and to surrender and to say, he is king over my life and I will be his servant. And know this, he is a good king. Turn to him while you can, for when he returns, it will be too late. But what does this mean for us also as followers of Jesus, for those of us who are already citizens of his kingdom? Well, the answer is simple when we think about the parable of the mustard seed. This is what we need to realize. This is what we need to remember. Don't despise nor neglect the day of small things. For he, as the scripture says, who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. We serve a king whose kingdom is ever growing and forever eternal and therefore we must never neglect the day of small things but be faithful in serving the Lord whether it's a time of small things or a time of great things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I simply just ask that by your spirit you would take what has been said here and plant it upon our hearts that we might live in light of these truths to the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.